Thank you for joining us on this Mother's Day Sunday as we're reminded of the moms and those who have invested in us in a motherly role. I do want to clarify that this service, this message, and everything we do at Church of the Valley is to celebrate Jesus Christ specifically. Today we're going to walk through a few passages that Paul the Apostle had written specifically to a young pastor named Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus. And Paul was actually, before he wrote what he wrote, was an enemy against early Christianity. But he met Jesus alive after he died and didn't just stop being an enemy of the Christian movement, but he became a follower of Jesus himself because a dead man was alive and resurrected as he said he would be. Paul, this apostle, this sent one, this chosen one by Jesus, went on many, many missionary journeys proclaiming that Jesus was alive and that life could be found in his name. Paul writes two letters to Timothy that we see in Scripture, First and Second Timothy. Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy with the theme of the gospel leading to a very practical life that changed that people that have been infected by the gospel. It changed the way they lived. Paul is saying we don't do things to be saved in this first letter but because we are saved, the evidence is that there are things that we do for the Lord. The second letter, which we're going to study a lot today, is to Timothy from Paul, and it's this letter that is this bold call to Timothy to persevere in the face of adversity and suffering. Paul is encouraging and reminding young Timothy about the need to finish well and continue in the faith for his sake, but also for others' sake, that they would see Timothy continue. It's interesting to me that Paul is sharing some things that Timothy at his younger age, probably in his 30s to 40s, may not have realized the importance of what Paul was telling him. Paul was at the end of his life. In fact, most historians would agree that this letter that is written to Timothy, 2 Timothy, was the final letter that Paul wrote that ends up in Scripture. Often when we hear from someone in a different stage of life, we're not always ready to either apply their advice or really understand the wisdom that one has as they ex have experienced things and they're then sharing with us those experiences. This past week, I met with a mentor and could affirm him because of the things that he said to me roughly a decade ago before I was in the position that I currently hold as a pastor at this church, but his words in the late 2000s resonate even more with me today, and by God's grace alone, I remember these words. Today, we're going to be hearing the truth of Scripture to Timothy from a senior elder in the church in Ephesus named Paul. And some of us may not be at the stage of life we think we ought to be to understand what we're going to be taught today. We will engage in parenting. We will engage in discipleship principles. But I want to affirm and encourage you to listen, to think deeply about these biblical truths and how maybe they have or haven't been applicable in your life thus far and how they may be applicable in the future. Today, I have the honor of sharing this message with Karen Miller. Karen is a dear friend of mine. Her family and I have been close for about a decade now, and she serves as the, as the director of women's discipleship and community groups here at Church of the Valley. Karen is also the bride and best friend of Mike Miller, one of my best friends as well, <laughs> who's our executive pastor. And Karen's the mother to Calvin and Naomi. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. You all ready? Okay, Aaron and Mike are. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's pray. 
Jesus, we thank you, God, that we get this opportunity to be in your word, that when we open it, we are inviting you to change us. And so, God, I thank you for every person that's here. And God, I want to just recognize the fact that you have two servants up here that are going to be teaching your word that have both lost their moms. And this day, it recognizes things that actually hurt. And I assume that there are others in this room that have had tough relationships with moms or have lost their mom in a way that, in a time they really didn't want that to happen, obviously. And so, God, we recognize that none of us are perfect, none of our parents are perfect, but you're perfect, God. And so we want to engage in your word and to know you better through what you have to say to us in your word. We thank you for what you're going to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen. Karen, you're tagged in. Go. Woo. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, really, it's an honor to be with you this morning. And if you are a mom, happy Mother's Day. And I do hope that you feel just honored and celebrated. Even if your own kids can't do that, God honors and celebrates you. Um, but as Tim just said, Mother's Day can be, for some, a day of hurt or disappointment or reminder that we have lost people that we love. Maybe we didn't have the moms that we hoped for. Maybe we are a mom or a parent and we're not uh, that parent that we really wanna be. I know some of you have kids who are making choices uh, that are heart-wrenching, and so this day is a little bit harder for that reason. And then if you're a new parent, uh, there's a joy to that, but it's tough, um, and so, uh, I just pray that God will meet us wherever we are this morning, that we'll draw closer to him, right? Because he is the only one who can parent us perfectly, as we just said. All right, I would like to read our scripture, 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 5. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, get that out. And while you're doing that, uh, Tim already gave some good background on this letter as he said, it, it was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, a young man that he'd heard about in Lystra. So Timothy had a reputation uh, for being well-spoken of, and then Paul took Timothy under his wing. He discipled him and became a spiritual father to him. This letter, as Tim mentioned, was written at the end of Paul's life, so there is an urgency that Paul needs to pass on what he knows and believes to be true in a way that Timothy's going to grab hold of that and then teach it to other people. And that's exactly what we want to do. All right, so we're going to read 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 5. It says, starting in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And it was that last verse that really struck me. 
And here's Timothy, and he had a grandmother with a sincere faith, a mother with a sincere faith, and then he had Paul as his spiritual uh, father. So here's the question I want us to think about this morning. How do we invest either in our children or those we disciple or others in a way that we pass on a sincere or genuine faith? Notice I didn't say we're passing on a moral code. We're not just passing on an intellectual knowledge of the Bible, but we want to pass on a faith. So how do we do that? So first I want to point out that Timothy, he was a blessed dude, all right? He did have, his father was Greek, um, and he was an unbeliever, and he even opposed uh, Timothy's mom's faith enough that Timothy was not circumcised as a baby, and that would have been a big deal. Okay, but he has this grandmother, Lois, who has a faith, and Eunice, and then, of course, he has Paul. All right, well, I want to speak about grandmothers first. Um, hopefully, there they are. There's my two grandmothers up there. <laughs> That's my college graduation, and uh, they were very different. So on my mom's side, that grandmother was a Christian scientist. And she had lost a husband young. My mom had died. Um, she lived outlived her by 30 years. And she really had, sadly, no belief in a loving, redemptive God. And so when she became older, she was a very kind of angry and bitter older woman. And I would drive her from Southern California to Northern California and literally tell me about this death and that funeral and this death and that funeral. Um, and there was no path towards joy for her. And I loved her dearly, but I did know that I did not want to be like her. And then my other grandma on my dad's side, she was a lovely Christian lady. And her, her life was marked by service and gratitude. And when I went to visit her, it was fun because she was delighted to see me. She'd say, I'm just tickled pink, you know, that, I, that you're here. And uh, I just felt the delight of my Lord when I was with her. And when her husband of over 50 years passed away, and of course she missed him greatly, but she continued to love people well. She knitted blankets for orphans. She continued in church ministry. And you know what? I want to be like her when I grow up. <laughs> um, and she quietly passed on a faith by the way she lived. Uh, my mom... Uh, there she is, and that's me as a little baby. Um, she was a fantastic, creative, fun lady, um, but she did not have a faith to pass on. She attended church every Sunday. She was a deacon. She even taught Sunday school, um, but she had a Unitarian Christian Science upbringing that kind of dominated her thinking, and she accepted, received Jesus as her Lord uh, right before she died. Uh, so when I was 17, I didn't get to celebrate Mother's Day with her. She died of lung cancer the year before, and I was left alone to grieve her passing. My mom had dutifully commissioned other women to stand in the gap, an aunt, a coach, her own mother, um, and all stuck in their own grief or own lives. Uh, no one really stepped up to take on that role. My dad remarried a year and a half later, and that relationship with my stepmom was uh, difficult at best. And she had, own, she had her own three children. She was grieving as well, and so she was really not available for me 
and I was a pretty difficult person. So, um, so for years, I would attend church on Mother's Day. I'd make it about halfway through, and then I'd start sobbing, and I would walk out the back. Um, and so if this is a hard day for you at whatever level, I get it. But I can focus on what I lacked and feel sorry for myself and become bitter. Or I can rejoice that while others couldn't pursue me or care for me, my Lord did. And I do rejoice in that, and I praise God for that. And it was really out of that pain and abandonment that God gave me a heart to shepherd and invest in other women. And that's what I love to do. And so whether you have biological children or just people you invest in or whether you hope to do one of those two things, um, Paul sets up this just wonderful example for us of what it means to invest in people and to invest in our kids. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so another question I asked was, how did Paul invest in a Timothy in a way that would pass on a sincere faith? In 2 Timothy 1.3, we learn that Paul considered Timothy his beloved child. And God intends for us all to be spiritual family for one another. We're supposed to love one another well in this church. We try to do that. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters in the faith. We're supposed to be parents in the faith and be children in the faith. And you know what? The truth is, are we good at that? Sometimes. Do we even want that? Sometimes. Um, is there a lot of room to grow? Absolutely. And that's what we're talking about this morning. All right. But we do learn, right, that Timothy was this beloved child. And so our relationship should be motivated by the love of Christ. All right. If you're a parent, you're like, okay, that sounds obvious. I'm going to love my kid. But what about in a church context? Sometimes we put together well-intended discipleship programs, right? We know we should have someone pouring into us, and we should pour into someone else, or we attend a community group. And God, if God gives us those relationships, we're kind of happy. Like, we've checked the discipleship box, and we show up every week, every other week. We hope to look more like Jesus and see how it goes. But honestly, and this was a good conviction for me, if I don't love the person in the room or the person sitting across from me, like really love them, then to quote Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, I am nothing. And if we don't attend our community groups with a heart to love the people in the room and not just get something out of it, we've missed the mark, right? We want to love those people. So thankfully, we don't have to ma manufacture that kind of love in our own strength, praise God. But we can pray for it, and we can ask God to give us his heart for our children, for those we disciple, and those in our community groups. I love that that love showed itself in Paul and Timothy's relationship. We learned that uh, Timothy was in tears when Paul had to leave him, and you can read more about that in Acts 16. And then Paul is longing to see Timothy so that Paul might be full of joy. So you get this sense of a deep, caring, intimate relationship. And that's at its best what it should look like. And I love that Paul communicates how he feels about Timothy. Because sometimes I think we care deeply about people, but we forget to tell them, I love you, you know, express ourselves. 
Um, and just so we're clear, trying to love our spiritual children or own children with the love of Christ is a high, high bar. None of us meet it, right? Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. All right. Well, if you are a new parent, I just want you to know that laying down your life it may be all that you feel like you're doing. And you don't get, you give up sleep, you give up time, you give up work, you give up relationships in order to ensure that that baby is loved and clean and well-fed and thriving. And uh, it's a good training ground for training other people, right? Laying down your life for them. But uh, if you're in that phase of life, I just want to encourage and commend you. It's hard work. And if you're not sleeping enough, you will someday. And if you are tired of changing diapers after thousands of diapers, they get potty trained. No one goes to middle school not potty trained. So, yay. All right. Um, God will see you through. But as your kids get older, so I have teenagers, right? It's a little bit harder to know how I'm supposed to lay down my life for them. You might have grown children. How do you lay down your life for them? And so you have to ask yourself some questions. Is this decision about me? Or am I serving them? Uh, are my desires for their future kingdom-minded, or are they more worldly? What's the difference between serving them and catering to them? And am I doing something because I want them to like them or just have peace, or am I really doing what is absolutely best for them? And all of those big and small decisions involve a lot of prayer, because honestly, I don't have a clue. I mean, God really has to direct me as I parent my teens, right? So here's my question to you. Are you asking God to show you how to love your kids, those you disciple, or even your community group members well? And are you seeking God's wisdom and how to love them best? And are you willing to lay down your life for them? So those are all yes-no questions, but my answer for those questions is maybe and sometimes. And so what I want to do this week is just really pray, how can I be more intentional about that? How can I love, really lean in on God and ask him how to love my kids and the people in my life well? All right. And the next thing we learned from Paul is that these relationships should be soaked in prayer. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Ultimately, God is the only one who can draw people into faith. And so without prayer, there's no hope of passing on a sincere faith. Uh, I want you to know, I came in faith into the faith partly because God put it on my sister, she's an older sister by two years, heart, for years to pray for me. And it was a very simple prayer, and it went like this. God, heaven's not going to be heaven if Karen's not there. And she pleaded for my salvation for years. And she's praying for me today. She's still praying for me. <laughs> it's really sweet. Um, so if you have children or family members uh, who don't know the Lord yet or have walked away from the Lord, keep praying. The story is not over, right? Um, when Jesus first called me to shepherd other women back in 1996, um, I was trained through an organization called Bible Study Fellowship, and we met every Saturday morning at 6.55 a.m., and we got down on our knees, and we prayed for our people. 
And I want to tell you, I had never prayed out loud before. So when I started that, I was terrified. Like praying out loud was scary to me. And we learn how to pray one prayer at a time. And then another discipline we had to do was we had to, we were supposed to pray for our women, so 15 women every day by name. And I'd make this little magnet, and I'd put it on my fridge, and God developed that discipline in me. And so then I became, uh, that was part of my life. And then I would take long walks, and God would invite me to pray much lengthier prayers for the people I invested in. And um, he's continuing to grow me in that. But there's something I love about this church. So Erin was up here. She literally, if you go into her office, she has a list of the 50-plus kids that we have at this church, and she prays for them by name. So thank you, Erin, for doing that. It's a tremendous gift. And she invites the people who work in children's to do the same. And then recently, Tim and I met with the Young Adults Discipleship or Leadership Team. Yeah. And uh, we prayed for three hours uh, for this church. And it was really cool to do that. So, when, when I uh, took on this role as the lead pastor at this church, I had prayed for a long time, and I thought my prayer life was something that was a big part of who I was. It was part of my ministry and things like that. And then we hired Karen's husband, Mike, as the executive pastor. And all of a sudden, the way that I saw prayer, and I have known Mike and Karen for quite some time, but all of a sudden, I saw this dependency because the truth is a lot of what we can do, we can kind of do in our own strength. And if I think I can parent my kids, if I think I can lead this church, if I think I can disciple people and point them towards Jesus in my own strength, I am completely wrong. And I watched Mike, and I watched Karen, and I watched the, the heart of these two and the consistency of prayer in their life and how every time Karen and I meet every other week, and every time we meet, she's always like, so are we going to pray? Like, she has to remind me. I don't know that she knows she's doing that, but she does. And there's been something about the way that this church in particular has grown spiritually and also numerically, but the way that we're getting to do what we're doing isn't because we put on a good show. That's not what we do here. It's because we want to be a people that are dependent upon God, and God will bring the influx of whatever he chooses. And so, as Karen said, about a month back, we got to spend time with the different young adult leaders within the church. We spent time with the Fredericks and Danny and Vashti and Helena and Spencer and Daryl and Laura. And as we were spending this time together, we had a bunch of time. And they all trusted me to just kind of lead them in a direction. And so, as Karen said, we, we didn't spend three hours together. We spent five hours together. We spent three hours praying. And we would pray in different staff members' offices. We'd walk around the campus and pray. I think, personally, the best time for me was as we were in this room, praying over the seats that you're sitting in, praying over the stage, praying over here, the piano, and just spending time begging God to make a difference in the lives of the people that walk onto this campus. And we know that the fact that this church is pretty healthy. I mean, how many pastors can say that without lying? This church is pretty healthy, and we believe it's because of a dependency upon God and God's good and perfect will. And so as we are looking at parenting, as we're looking at investing in other people, you might say, well, I'm not good enough. Well, here's the good news. You're not, but he is. And so we're dependent upon him. So just so you know, I went home, I told my daughter that we prayed for three hours, and she's like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. That sounds crazy to her. She's 14. Um, well, 
was like, you know, it's a grow it's saying you grow in, right? So if you can pray one minute, great. Go for two. Um, all right. So we're going to love the people God puts in our lives. We're going to be praying for them uh, as God gives us grace more and more. Um, and then we want to be grounded in the word. So Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16. And he says to Timothy, and how from infancy, and other versions say early childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I grew up in a church that didn't have Bible studies. And as far as I remember, there was never a Bible opened in our home where we read the Bible together as a family. But when I was eight years old, the church handed me a Bible, and it was white, and it sat on my bookshelf. I only had one thing on there, the Bible and a lamp. It's two things. Okay, two things. Um, but it had this special spot, and every now and then I would take it off its place, open it up, read a couple verses. And I honestly, I have no idea what it was talking about, and then uh, close it up and put it back again. What a tragedy that there was no one to explain the Bible to me. And I went to church, I heard the stories, but I couldn't understand the Bible itself. And so as a parent, um, we sometimes think that it's the church's job to teach the word and we do the other parenting work, but really it's flipped. It's our job to do the work of discipling our children and the church just supports us in that role, right? So no church has the ability to sit down one-on-one -on -one with every child and explain the word and God's character in a way that they can get. And no church has the ability to know their child intimately in a way that they can speak truth, uh, to address a fear, to address a sinful attitude, to help them see God's character. And so that is our job. So if you are a parent of young children, I just watched a whole host of them leave, right? Um, I want to encourage you to build in a pattern of reading the word uh, with your kids. And I have great kids' Bibles out there that talk about Jesus in simple language they can understand. And then Aaron gives these, they give pages, right? That are things you can follow up with what they learn. Do those pages. Those are great resources, right? Um, and talk about God's character and help them to know the awesomeness of the, of the gospel and of Jesus. So Tim shared before that he viewed uh, God, once viewed God as a cosmic killjoy. And I relate to that because there are a lot of fun things, especially as a teen that looked fun to me that God said no to. And so I did think God was a cosmic killjoy. And then in my 20s, I was so surprised to learn that God was actually working for my joy. Like, what? That's crazy. That was just crazy to me. Um, so helping us to see God clearly. What a huge gift that is. All right. If you have older children, um, or even younger children, and they're going to be older, uh, listen to 2 Timothy 3.14. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. 
At some point, our children or those we disciple need to be convinced of what they have learned. And you may instantly think, ah, huge responsibility. You have to convince my kid. No, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts our children of the truth of the gospel. But unless that happens, their faith doesn't become their own, right? They go to church because their parents tell them to rather than because they want to know and love Jesus. And so when that transfer happens and they're actually choosing to go to church on their own and read the scripture on their own and get to know God better, that is when a faith has been passed on. Um, does it make a difference, like what stage they're in? So when they're little, you're giving them a lot of information and you're loving them the way Christ does. But at some point, you need to... Switch it up a little bit, I guess, is what I want to say. So as a parent of teens, right, I want to witness more to my kids. I want to share what God's done in my life, what God's currently doing in my life, what I see God doing in their life. I want to give them space to ask questions and express doubts and ask the hard questions. I want to teach them, right, what I didn't learn, which is how to read the Bible and understand it for myself. And they can't really do that as little kids, but as older ones, they can. So lots of things there. Um, but we want those we are discipling. Make sure your time is grounded in the word. That's what brings life. We want to pass on a sincere faith to our children, to our grandchildren, to those in our sphere of influence. We as a community are not satisfied with just being justified. We yearn to please God by exercising faith in him led by the Holy Spirit and certified by the word of God. We worship God through obedience to the words of God, being led by the spirit of God because we have been justified by the son of God. There is something so amazing and so beautiful about the fact that we don't come here and get a pep talk. We don't come here and put in our time Really, as we've said many, many, many times before, and Karen is definitely certifying this, the fact is that we come here to be prepared for what we do out there. And we as a people, we as God's people, we as God's children actually have a responsibility to invest in other people. And yet the, the emotional fear of thinking, well, I have to convert someone or I have to get someone to believe a certain thing, that's not our job. God's the one that does the transformation. Our job's to be faithful, church. And we get to do that. We get to be about that as we open God's word and point people to it. Karen mentioned that there are so many resources, especially for young kids. My wife and I are big Jesus Storybook Bible people. And it's one of those things where our kids ask us, hey, are we going to read the Storybook Bible together? Because every story from Genesis all the way to the end all points back to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And it's so beautiful that the kids actually want to have that conversation. The truth is, one of the reasons that, that my wife and I came specifically to this church was we wanted to be at a church that our kids could have a sincere faith in, where we're not satisfied with just believing. But we want to see people grow more into the likeness of Jesus by obeying his word for the right reasons. Yeah. And so I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, take the next step. So if you've never had a family Bible time, try it once, right? Uh, my question to you is, how are you building in the practice of reading, understanding, and applying God's word with your own children or those you disciple? And how are you helping to know them to know God well enough that when you're not around, they will depend on him and they will seek him, right? All right, so we're going to be motivated by love. We're going to be praying for our people. We're going to be grounded in the work. 
word, and next we're going to be living as an example. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of all of them, the Lord rescued me. So Timothy lived life with Paul. He was an eyewitness to the way Paul lived his life, the way he did his ministry, and um, it was just a beautiful thing. And something, right, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so my question is, are we living a life that we want our children or others to imitate? That's one you have to actually sit on and think about, right? So that's something I want to journal about this week. What parts do I want my kids to imitate? Which parts do I don't? If you don't know if they're imitating you, they are. I remember when Calvin was learning how to talk, he was like, just two. And he'd keep saying, actually, da-da-da, actually. I was like, what a weird word to say for a two-year-old. And then, and I didn't know I said it. And then two weeks later, I was like, actually. I was like, oh, that's where he gets it, right? He's just copying me. And that's what they do. They just copy you. Um, so as Tim often says, more is caught than taught. Um, and we want to be doing that. But we've been talking about faith. And so I want to talk about how do we set an example in faith specifically? So the short answer is that we live a life of faith in front of people. So the first time I met the woman who would be my mentor for nine plus years, uh, I went up to the church where she was a pastor and also a counselor. I went in a counseling office and uh, I literally sobbed for an hour and told her what was going on with me. And uh, she listened to me and at the very end, she looked at me with this just compassionate, confident look on her face and she said okay I can see we can you can, we need to learn this truth and this truth and this truth and she was so sure that God could bring joy and order and righteousness into my life that was faith right um that I was learning from her as she taught me and then when I went to Haiti uh the missionaries there just had an unshakable faith that God would provide for people that were literally starving. Like literally, uh, I think there's a picture there, but the kids, if they made it to five, like they celebrated. And so when this couple, uh, Christy and John John, uh, first went, they had three months of support and they saw the kids were starving and they gave all three months of their support to buy food for the children and they fed them. And they shared the gospel with them. And it was a complete act of faith. They had no idea how they personally were going to live or where the money was going to come from. And now, over a decade later, literally, that whole region has come to Christ. I mean, it's, a mer it's, it's amazing. So um, put yourself in the room who people have, with people who have a large faith, who are really living by faith. It's fun to watch. Anyway, if you're in a season where you're struggling with your faith, you feel like God is absent, or you have doubts, find a person, right, who know you know trusts God. That's okay. Talk about it. Talk about what you're struggling with. Have them pray for you. Ask some questions. Uh, I just want you to be able to do that. So here's my next question for you. If you asked your kids or those you disciple describe how you are living by faith, what would they say? 
Okay, all right, one last thing. Um, in preparing for today, I read through First and Second Timothy a few times, and I noticed that Paul shared the gospel to Timothy in a very personal way. So I just want to end with this. He writes to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And I love that Paul shares the gospel with Timothy in a personal way. I was really messed up. Christ came into my life. He's transformed my life. I need to share those stories with my own children in a way that's going to impact them. So um, we're just going to wrap it up. We want to be motivated by love, soaked in prayer, grounded in the word, living example, communicating the gospel in a personal way. It requires intentionality. It doesn't happen on accident. It's time-consuming. It's very inconvenient. It can be hard, as Aaron said, and it is so worth it. Um, may we lean on God for all of this. You of the staff went to a leadership conference this past week. I had a weird week. I worked one day. So when people are like, you only work on Sundays. No, I just worked on Thursday. And, and it was a great week, though, because as a few of us as staff, we could talk about the different things that we're hearing in the conference and things of that nature. And we met with a bunch of different leaders from the Bay Area, and we're having conversations. And one of the things that's maybe different about our culture, I'm not saying they're wrong, I'm just saying they're wrong, is that we don't make the gospel a presentation in a sermon. The gospel is the foundation of what we're talking about. It's the point. It's the foundation of our messages. It's the foundation of our meetings. And as Karen said that and walked us through different ways to engage with people, we don't just share the gospel to tack it on at the end. The gospel is the reason we sit down with people. This past, uh, actually the last two days, we got to drive down to Los Angeles to go run a 5K through the back lot of Universal Studios. I know you're jealous. <laughs> and, and we got to drive down kidless <laughs> with two friends. And in, in that truck drive down and that truck drive back up, it was incredible to have conversations about the gospel and ask questions and walk through things. And it was so, so encouraging. But as a pastor in this church, I want to encourage you that there is a culture out there that wants people to buy into a false gospel. They want us to buy into just doing enough to be okay. Here's the gospel in the simplest form. If you remember Jesus hanging on the cross with two different thieves on both sides, one is talking smack to him, if you will, saying, if you're really the Messiah, get us down from here. And the other thief looks at that other thief and he says, you and I deserve to be here. We've done nothing right. We've done everything wrong. We deserve to be here. But Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. Remember me, Lord, when you go into the kingdom. And Jesus says some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. I tell you the truth. Tonight, you will be with me in paradise. You want to know the gospel in a simple form? 
The gospel in a simple form is you realize you're not good enough, but Jesus is. And you respond by realizing you need him. And so would we be a people, we're not telling you these things to clean yourself up. We're not telling you these things so you can justify yourself and you can say, oh, well, I lead a community group or I disciple people or whatever. I've been there and it's fleeting and worthless to do those things to justify yourself. We're telling you these things because you realize that God in his grace, he has given you his son as a gift. And are we going to take Jesus Christ for granted or are we actually going to live our lives for the one who died for us and rose again. So on this Mother's Day, Karen, you did a phenomenal job, especially on an incredibly difficult day for both of us to be able to speak. But I, I want to encourage you that if, if this day is one of those days that's hard for you, or even if it's a day that's wonderful because you have like my mother-in-law, who's amazing. Mimi's the best. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> but no matter what this day signifies, I want to remind you that it's a day that ends in why, and that is a day that the Lord has made that you can worship him with all that you are. Let's pray.